Thank you, guys. You okay? I don't work out, you know. This is natural. I got a friend of mine. He's a pastor in South Africa, right? He's got muscles on his teeth. In the gym. And I remember uh, I went to preach in his church. He's sitting there with all his muscles. And I said to the congregation, I said, so your pastor there with all the muscles and everything? I said, that there, I said, is synthetic. This is organic. I had a better laugh than that when I said it, but still. Uh, it's great to be here. Are you ready for the word this morning? Um, it's always good to, uh, to be with Joe and the family. And uh, we are celebrating um, some Bobby's life today. And uh, we've got a bit of a dinner going on. So, um, But I was excited also that I was able to come and minister to you guys as well. And I got up this morning and... Um, I had, you know, I, I always come very, very well prepared. And so I prepared a message for this morning, um, traveling up in the car, got it all sorted out. And then I woke up this morning, and uh, he does it all the time. Uh, God says, that's a very good message that you prepared. <laughs> uh, but he said, uh, I got a better one for the people this morning. So... Um, uh, you know, when you say the word contentment, just the very word, you know, sort of brings a sense of, of peace over your life. And I, we all know the scripture where Paul the Apostle said this. He said, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And he had a bit of a rough life serving Jesus. Uh, two-thirds of his life or two-thirds of his ministry was done from a prison cell. So what are we complaining about? <laughs> uh, and, and this is what he said. He said, for I have learned. He didn't say, for I have been taught. Because you can be taught something and never learn something. See, that is why God allows us very often to go through stuff. Listen, authority is not what you know. It's what you've survived. And when I look back over my life of 36 years, that was another joke. I, um, I, do you know what? I, I know when you're going through it, it seems like, God, we pray, God, get me out of this. God, do something. But you know, when I look back on hindsight, I think, wow, the desperate times of my life, the most fearful times of my life are the times when I've, I've, I've cried out to him. And on, high, on hindsight, that's when he's perfected the greatest areas of character in my life. Can I hear an amen here? Amen. And, and Paul said, for I have learned. And there, there, over the years, there have been a number of, of scriptures that have medicated my anxiety and my seasons of worry and fear away. There are certain scriptures that have been a balm to me. God has used them as medication um, to help me in those times. And, and at the same time, these scriptures have transfused high doses of contentment into my spiritual bloodstream and one of them uh, is the one that um, if, if you want a title of the message this morning it is this what to do when you don't know what to do and you did what you knew you were doing when you did what you didn't want to do when you knew it so I thought that's a bit long that that's a bit confusing that one um, but if you want a, a title for the message it's simply this and and it's the story of my life in fact when I when I when I when I was writing my book the Lord said, before you write anything about my grace in your life, he said, I want you to review my history in your life since you become a Christian. And he, and he, and he said, do you notice something? On, on, on some of the key changes of season, on some of the key crisis moments of your life, he said, do you notice something? And then uh, I... And then when I, when I reviewed it and I thought about it, I thought, wow, 
how many times, I said, God, how many times have you ambushed me? And I want to talk this morning about being ambushed by grace. Ambushed by grace. And this is the scripture that God gave me. We know it very well, but I, I saw it in a new light. It's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. And we know it well. It goes, it goes like this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And very often the truth of this scripture is only understood on hindsight. And this was one for me. And for me, this scripture has become one of the bedrocks of my life as I've served God for over 50 years. 50 flipping years. That's a long time, isn't it? But it goes like this. And, um, and the, this, this, when you get a real revelation of the scripture, you can make your plans, but God orders your steps. When this scripture gets right down into your soul, you begin to realize that it will deliver you from the fear of making mistakes. You know, many people don't step out and serve God because they're afraid of making mistakes. The only person here that has never made a mistake in the ministry is myself. The rest of you, flip it all plus. But you know, a revelation of the scripture actually also delivers you from the fear of failing and the fear of falling. It delivers you from the hesitancy of making plans. And the reason why that is, is because ultimately, ultimately, <laughs> When I review my life, ultimately, God has the last word. And, 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 and I believe when, you, when, when the, revelation, the revelation of this word really gets, this particular scripture gets into your heart, it'll give you contentment in 75 areas of your life. Number one, that was another joke. But what I've done, I've, I've encapsulated that into three. When you have a revelation of this verse, you can make your plans, but God orders your steps. When you really get it, it'll give you contentment in three areas of your life. Firstly, it'll give you a contentment in the area of your salvation. I don't know, in my travels and talking, and I've been a pastor for 25 years, and I held this, I had this fear in my life uh, for a number of years uh, after I got saved. And this was the fear. People used to say to me, well, you're saved, but you never know. You could commit that one sin, something could happen, and you could lose your salvation. And there are so many Christians who live in the fear of losing their salvation based on their behavior. Because we know what we like. We're a bunch of plonkers. At the end of the day, when we look at our faithfulness, when we look at our love for him, it's, it's very inconsistent, isn't it? And there are so many Christians who live with this fear of losing their salvation and when you have a revelation of this verse, you can make your plans, but God orders your steps. It delivers you from that fear. Fantastic, man. I mean, fancy, you know, and I lived like this for years. You used to get up in the morning, oh, this could be the day when I lose my salvation. Well, that's a great way to live, isn't it? You know what I mean? I want to tell you something right now. Your name is written in a book in heaven. In indelible blood of Jesus, and no demon, no circumstance, not even you can rub that name out of the book. Isn't that fantastic, folks? So, so settle it, you know. Just settle it. But, there are, but you may be one of those people. But uh, my response, people say to me, Ray, don't you fear? Don't you, aren't you afraid of losing your salvation? And my response is the same as the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to read this verse. I think we're going to put it up on the screen. It's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, in the Amplified Version, okay? 
The Apostle Paul, I love this, and I love reading the Scriptures slowly so that we can understand what's being said. What's this? Paul the Apostle, for I am convinced. That word convinced means nothing can dissuade me from anything else. I am absolutely, totally sure of one thing. He says, I'm convinced and sure of this very thing. So he's focusing on one thing. He says, there's one thing I'm absolutely sure about. No doubt. And then he carries on and he says this. I love this. That he. You see, whenever you focus on you, you'll always feel insecure. Whenever you focus on your faithfulness, you'll always be unsure. Whenever you focus on your behavior or your love for him, you'll always come out thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm not 100%. But Paul said, for I am convinced and sure of one thing that he, oh man, there's three hours there. Watch this. So what is Paul convinced about? That he, God, will do. Watch. He who began a good work in you. Aren't you? That's when you got saved. When you got saved, God began a good work in your life. So he that began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ right up to the time of his returning. He will develop that good work and he will perfect it and bring it, what? To full completion. Do you know, if you want a great spiritual exercise for the rest of the year, meditate on that verse every single day of your life. I'm telling you. Paul's confidence was in the fact that his security was not dependent upon what he had to do to maintain his salvation, but what God has already done and is doing to secure it. Wow. And there's the, when I read that verse, there were four words that jumped out of that. Um, Regarding my salvation. The first one is began. So he began it. The next one is develop. God is developing it, not you. The third one is perfecting. God is perfecting your salvation, not you. <laughs> and completion. God will complete and bring you home safe. Come on, somebody, say amen. I, I tell you, I'm preaching myself happy. Do you know what? This is the only second time I've preached in 18 months. So you're having it. <laughs> I'm like a greyhound in a trap. So we've got plenty of time. I, John said, Pastor John said, you can preach until 3 o'clock. That's fantastic by me. I, but you know what? I, 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 I honestly sense. See, for me, it doesn't matter whether I'm preaching to 10,000 or two. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, and I, I just sense this more. It's like, I, I said, it's like feeding time at Blackpool Zoo here. <laughs> Are you hungry for God's word this morning? I, I can sense your faith. I can sense it. And, um, and, and this is so, so important. So my security is not based uh, on my grip on him. Man, I used to preach messages like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's old covenant. Nobody can do that. I tried it. I nearly had a flipping nervous breakdown. Trying to love the Lord with all my heart and then I get some weird thought going in my head. Oh, you're done. You're failure. What do you think of that? See, anyway, don't start me. Why are you asking me these questions? I, don't let me go there. But you know, do you understand what I'm trying to say here? You know, my security is not based. You know, when the angel of death passed through the streets of Egypt, this is so powerful. You know, the command from God was, uh, uh, he, he, told, he said, Moses, tell the people to, to sacrifice 
uh, the lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorpost and the lintel. Then you take the lamb, uh, tell them to take the lamb on the inside and eat the lamb. And when the angel of death comes, when he sees the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death has been commanded to pass over. Judgment. Now watch this. This is powerful. So imagine the angel of death come into a house. Uh, listen to the command from God. God said, he said, when you see the blood, not when you see their behavior. So, God, so the angel of death didn't come and look at the blood and say, oh, that's too easy. I'm going to go inside to check if they've been good Christians this week. God says, whoever's in the house, whoever believes that my sacrifice is good enough for them to pass over judgment, amen. Come on, somebody. So, so the angel didn't go in and check the behavior. No. Thank God, man. I, we overcome the enemy, not with your spirituality, not with your faithfulness. We overcome the enemy, watch, with the blood of the Lamb and the confession of it. So it's not about my grip on him. Man, I, I used to, you know, people are nail-biting themselves in, through life as Christians. You know, and for 10 years I was taught this legalistic stuff. I, and I thought I had more fun when I was in a rock band. I, I had more contentment when I was in a rock band. I want to tell you, man, it's not about that. I love this. When I look at my life and I think about... My salvation, and when I think about if it was dependent on me, then uh, th there's no way I'm going to make it to heaven. I've made some bad decisions in life. Not like you, you're all perfect, you lot. Anybody made some bad decisions in life? The rest of you are lying. We all have. I've, I've sinned consciously. And unconsciously, as a Christian and a pastor. What? You can't say that? I just did. I've hurt people, and I've been hurt by people. I've lied, and I've manipulated, motivated by self-preservation and to keep my reputation. I failed relationally, ethically. I've doubted, I've feared, I've worried. But one thing has remained constant. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Come on, man. Isn't that, come on, give him a clap. I, I'm, I'm preaching myself really happy here. Yeah. Ray, you can't say that. I just did say it. Because that's the truth. And um, so, okay, so first of all, when you have a revelation that you can, of that verse, you can make your plans, but God orders your steps, it'll create a contentment concerning your salvation. The second area of life where that has produced contentment in my life is in the area of my calling. In the area of my calling. And there are so many Christians that get stressed out about missing their call. <laughs> oh, I, I don't want to miss the call of God in my life. Not realizing, and I had to realize this by experience, really, not realizing the responsibility of choice and timing is on God, not on you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. <laughs> Yabba dabba do. With that revelation, Jesus says, I didn't choose, you didn't choose me. I chose you. So we stress out about, oh, I miss, will I miss God? Listen, with that revelation and 50 years of experience regarding God's call, I am convinced of four things, okay? Is this helping anybody this morning? I'm in teaching mode here this morning, so, so I'm, there's nothing on the TV. It's, it's fine, let's do this. So, okay, four things regarding the call of God, okay? Those of you that are afraid you may miss it, right? You know, I've heard preachers, you know, put condemnation on Christians, 
Well, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God will call you and you should have been. No, listen, listen. You know, when you understand, when you understand this verse, that you make your plans, but God orders it, there's four things. First of all, now this may be so simple regarding your calling, okay? Those of you that are worried about, am I in the right place, okay? Number one, yours is profound. You've never heard anything like this before. This is so deep, it's way over your head, but, but I'm going to try, okay? Point number one regarding calling. Listen, God knows where you live. <laughs> oh, flipping heck. God knows where you are. Let that sink in, folks. God knows where you are. Hmm. Normally, <coughs> I'm talking about being ambushed. And I'll explain about that in a minute, how it, it, is, it relates to this verse. God, you know, when I never wanted to be in the ministry, I didn't want to go into the ministry. You know, I, I was so, inf- I felt I had a problem with inferiority. Um, all this, I, I, you know, weird stuff. I, I'm a weird person. I got weird things going on. Anyway, so, so I thought, I don't want it. I don't want it. And you know, when I felt, when I felt you know, I, I, I knew that God had chosen me for something, okay? I knew that he called me for something, like he's called all of us for something specific. And I said, okay. I said, okay. I said, and there was no internet then, and no, you know, flipping Instagram or nothing like that. I said, God, there's the letterbox, and there's the telephone. Amen. And then, a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, letters started coming through my letterbox. Phone calls. Would you come and preach? I said, how did you know I was here? I haven't advertised anything. Come on, are you understanding what I'm saying here? God knew what I was. So I put the pressure on him. And very often we put that pressure on ourselves and we get, we get all wound up. Am I doing the right thing? No, listen, God knows where you so, so look, normally an ambush is a surprise to the one being ambushed, right? But it's not a surprise to the one planning it. I mean, when you ambush somebody, when people, you know, you've seen the highwaymen and all those films, I mean, they've planned it for weeks. God planned your call before you were born. Come on, man. It's not a surprise to him. Basically, an ambush is a setup, prearranged and planned. And I want to tell you right now, when I look back over my life, this is what the Lord said to me when I was writing my book. He said, right, it's got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with you. I planned this. And, 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 I, I, and I'll share in a minute about all the times then he, that he ambushed me when I made my plans. But he came and ordered my steps. So, so look, there's nobody in this building this morning that is an accident. Nothing about your life is accidental. I know some of you are in a situation right now when you think, oh, well, yeah, it didn't take God by surprise. Nothing in your life is accidental. You're not the result of sex. You are the result of sovereignty. <laughs> the sex that brought you into the world may have been illegitimate, but you are not. You're not the result of your parents. You're the result of predestination. Before you were a seed in your natural father's loins, you were a seed in the heart of your father. Come on, somebody. Say amen here. So your family, your culture, your location, the way you were raised. When I think about now, even, even the this, this, uh, six or seven years I was a professional entertainer, in the 60s, where women used to scream my name. That was another joke. 
And uh, they still scream my name but for the wrong reasons. But anyway, so do you know what? Even that was part of the preparation God had for my life as a minister. It wasn't Bible school for me. It was up and down the country singing in clubs. That was part of my preparation. Nothing about your life is accidental when you've given your life to Jesus. No, man, don't ever say that you're an accident. Don't ever feel stigmatized. Don't ever feel inferior in any way of how you entered the world. Your arrival here on earth was not an accident. It was planned by God's sovereign will. Come on, somebody say amen here. You know, when God said to Jeremiah, what God said to Jeremiah, he says to all of us, he said, Jeremiah, before I formed you, I mean, you're trying to get your head around this. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you. Look, people, you're not, there's not one loser in this building. You, you were one of a hundred million tadpoles on one occasion. All swimming to get to this big sphere. All of you are the same thing in mind. Well, you've got to get to that something inside. You say, got to get to that thing up there. That drowning. So here we were, 100 million tadpoles. Only one made it. How I guess who that was? It was you. So don't ever tell me, oh, I'm a loser. Come on, somebody say, man, none of us here are here by accident. Nothing in your life is accidental. And, uh, and that, that should bring you great contentment. So number two, regarding your calling, be the best you can be where you are with what you have. Isn't that, this is like so simple, but sometimes we miss it. Don't sit around, you know, sort of um, saying, well, here I am, God, wholly available. Uh, and, and people give up their jobs and they lock themselves in a room uh, praying. I'm, look, see, Lord, look, I'm all yours. God says, well, no, he says, go make your plans. We can make our plans. It's fine. Be the best where you are. And, um, you know, well, I, I, I remember... See, every one of us in this building has been given a promise tailor-made by God. We all have them. You're reading your Bible one day and one verse jumps out at you. And it's for you. Come on, somebody. Say amen. So we've all got these promises in our life, right? And, uh, and I thought to myself, how do we keep these, these rhema words, these promises from God to us personally, how do we keep them alive because for some of you, those, those, the promise that God, I don't know who this is for now, but God has given you a promise, okay? And, and uh, it, it, it just hasn't come to pass. Uh, you know, there's, there's um, let me tell you something. When God gives you a promise, there's always a fullness of time for that promise. The timing of God. Remember, it's not us, it's him. Okay? There's always a timing. Watch this. God gave a promise to Eve in Genesis chapter 3.16. There's someone coming from your womb that will crush the enemy's head. It took 2,000 years to come to pass. Say, Ray, I haven't got that long to wait. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? There was, a, there was a fullness of time. And I don't know, the fullness of time for that promise. So how do you keep the promise alive when disappointment hits you? When the enemy comes and says, where's God in this? Okay, practical help, this is the way to do it, okay? I, I don't know whether it's a verse, whether it's a prophecy that's been prophesied over you. This is a way to keep it alive. First of all, memorize it. Memorize that verse. Memorize that prophecy. Two, Meditate on it. Keep revolving it in your mind. Three, mouth it. Speak it out. And four, model it. What do I mean by that? Live as if it's already true. Come on, somebody say amen here. Very simple. 
Very simple. I got a whole message on that, but I just thought, you know, when I was, when I was working in a factory, right now the call of God was on me. I knew that God had called me for something. Okay? And I know you're here and you think, well, right, God, but you, you know that God has called you to do something for him, okay? And I'm working in this factory. Do you know what my job was? Picking up scrap metal from the machines and putting it in a bin. You need a degree for that. You need a lot of training for that. It was the lowest job in the factory. And the call of God was burning on me. And a young man, when I was teaching this to a bunch of young leaders, a young leader said to me, Ray, well, what were you thinking? Knowing the call of God was on you and you're picking up scrap metal in, and put in a bin. What, what were you thinking? I said, you know what? This is what I was thinking. I'm going to be the best picker up of scrap metal and putting it in a bin in this factory. I'm going to do the best I can do where I am with what I've got at this moment. Come on, man. I mean, this is, this, this is, is like, it's not rocket science, but it'll help you. Okay, number three, still on the call, okay? Are you all right with this? Are you getting up? Okay. Number three, about, about, about the call of God. Stop worrying about missing it. Stop. Do you know the best invention that's ever been invented for me as I'm traveling up into this country is the sat-nav. And, the, and, and, and uh, that sat-nav, I, I, I punch in my destination before I come up here. Right? And that sat-nav, I don't care how many detours I make. There's a wonderful woman on that sat-nav. The most wonderful, kindest, patient woman... I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I can, you know, I think, I've been up here so many times, and, and then she says, uh, take the next exit. I said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I've been up, I'm going to keep on going here, and then I end up, you know, messing up. I don't know where I am. And she doesn't say, I told you, you flipping idiot. <laughs> no, she doesn't do that. She goes, Turn around when possible. <laughs> I thought, you know what I mean? Because the sat-nav is programmed to get... Listen, what God began in your life, the Holy Ghost is the sat-nav in your life, and he will make sure you get to where God has planned for you to be. Come on, man. I mean, it's him. So, so don't be afraid of missing it. The Holy Spirit is our sat-nav. I love this. Psalm 139, my favorite verse. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. See, we rejoice that our names are written in a book when we die. But let's remember our names were also written in a book before we were born. Oh, man. Every moment was laid out before me. Not a single day has passed. So, so... Stop worrying about missing it. Uh, number, what are we on? Number four. Number four. Here it is. I love this. Make your plans, then trust God to order your steps. Don't sit, like I said, don't sit in a room like a monk. I'm, I'm available. I'm not working. I'm no, make your plans, and then trust God to order your steps. The call of God, I'm speaking from my own experience and from Scripture. Watch this. The call of God normally comes in the form of an ambush. In other words, when you don't expect it. <laughs> an unexpected interruption ambushing our plans. Proverbs 69, let's say it again, we can make our plans. In other words, God says, it's permissible. Go ahead. Make my day. Go for that. Make your plans. 
You're not disobeying God. You're not sabotaging your destiny by making your plans. Because at the end of the day, God will ultimately determine your steps. Come on, somebody, say amen. This is so releasing. Check out the scriptures. Check out the men and women of God that God called. Look at Moses. Man, we could spend four years there. Look at Moses. Look at Gideon. Look at David. Look at Saul. Look at Mary. She's probably washing her hair. An angel turns up in the front room. She wasn't like planning that. You know, I mean, people say, oh, I'd love to see an angel. Really? Have you ever real? Have you ever? I've seen my angel, right? Massive. Have you ever noticed whenever an angel turns up, the first thing they say, fear not. You know why? You see an angel, the first place you're going to go is the toilet. I'm telling you now. They're flipping amazing things. Look at all these people were ambushed by grace, watch, while making their plans. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Man, Paul was planning to kill people. He was actually on his way to kill people. And God says, now's the time. I love it. Look at, look at Moses. He was just planning to look after his sheep. God called him. King Saul was planning just to find his father's donkeys. That's all he was doing. He was looking for his father's donkeys. And the prophet Samuel came and said, Saul, God's anointing you, the next king. He said, well, that's fine, but where's my father's donkeys? You're a prophet. Because if I don't find them, you flip and kill me. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't have the kingship on his mind. Mary was probably planning household chores. The disciples were planning fishing trips. Rebecca was simply planning water for the family that day. Jonah, hello, was running away. <laughs> And people think, oh, I think I'll miss it. I'm, I'm afraid I'll miss it. I'm telling you something. Listen, if you were going in the wrong direction, then God will make sure you check into Fish Hotel. I'm telling you now, you'll be in there. I mean, Jonah, I used to go <laughs> to Sunday school. I was a kid. My mother used to send us to Sunday school to get rid of us for an hour. And, and they have these stories about Jonah, and, and they put these flannel graphs. You know, I forget. So they put these pictures up on a board, right? And in some of the modern, uh, you know, children's stories in the Bible, you got Jonah sitting in the whale with a, with a table and everything. Got a candle there, a TV. It wasn't like that, man. Jonah was sitting there up to his neck in digestive juices. That's what he was. Like some of you feel right now in your problem. Some of you are in a situation where you think, no, see, see, God is ordering your steps. Even when you decide to run away from him, he's, he, listen to me, you can't, you can't outrun God, man. He runs faster than you. He's way ahead of you. Even ahead of your mistakes. He even plans he, he, he's, he's never surprised by your mistakes. So here's Jonah in a fish, up to his neck in digestive juices, and you were there, and there's only one thing that fish that wanted, that wanted to do to Jonah, and that, that's digest him. That's the way you feel right now. It's like, Ugh. Well, here's a trick. Let me, I, I, some good advice. Instead of saying, I'm sick of this problem, why don't you tell, get, do something to make the problem sick of you? Because that's what happened to Jonah. Amen. And you know what? Listen, there was only two ways out of that fish. There was that way. And there was that way. I know which way I want to go. You know what I'm saying? You can either come out of your problem bitter or better. Amen. So listen. No, man. Listen. Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were actually planning to give birth to Jesus in Nazareth. Now, Mary and Joseph, you can't get more spiritual than that. She, she brought the Son of God into the world. So, they were, so, so, you know, after the initial sort of trauma 
of realizing, you know, she was pregnant and then had to go to Joseph and say, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but, but by the Holy Ghost. And Joseph going, yeah, right, really? And, uh, and then she became like the, the slut of Nazareth. She'd walk down the street and probably would spit, people would spit on her. And very often when God calls you to do something, first of all, sometimes even your closest won't understand it. So he was, but then when, when she was about to give birth, she thought, well, at least we can give birth in surroundings I'm familiar with. So God ambushes her again. No, that's, that may be your plan, Mary, but I'm going to order your steps and turn the whole world upside down to get her to Bethlehem, the place of birthing. Listen, this is so important. God will turn your whole world upside down, not to harm you, but to get you to the place where he wants you to birth the dream that he's placed in your heart. Wow. Anyway, time's gone now. Has this helped anybody this morning? I haven't got time for, for the last one. Perhaps I'll come up and do it again sometime. But are we all right for time? Are we okay? Are you, you're not bored, are you? All right. You shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> God, the, when I look back, do you know, I, I, I plan to emigrate to Canada. My family and everything. I ended up, that was my plan. God ambushed me. I ended up, his steps led me to work in a youth club for a year where, where God started to, uh, to open up doors for me to speak into, into schools and young people. I, then I planned to be a teacher. I've actually, I actually studied for nine months to, to, to enter teacher training college. God ambushed me on a Tuesday night. I was supposed to start teacher training college on the Wednesday morning. After nine months of study, I locked myself in a room to pass three or four exams. I, I had information coming out of every crevice in my body, and, I, and I'm locked in this room, and then I'm re- I go to the prayer meeting on Tuesday night, and there's a group of evangelists come to our church with a big 3,000-seater tent and shared their vision about traveling around the country, reaching people for Jesus in this tent. I'm sitting there, my plans tomorrow morning to enter, tomorrow, the following morning, and God ambushed me the night before. He said, well, that's your plans, Ray, but I'm going to order your steps. The point I'm trying to make is, don't worry about missing it. Don't worry about missing it. Just get on with your life. And when God needs you, he'll call you. Okay, uh, let's one more. Um, and then I'll, this will be a shorter one, okay? Uh, the third area where this verse has brought great contentment in my life is seasons. Helping me to transition from one season to another season in my life. And that can be Sometimes when you transition from one season to another season, that can be quite scary. And, and it can be quite confusing. But Proverbs 16.9 gives me confidence to embrace them. Because what God is doing in one season of your life is always designed to prepare you for the next season. And one truth that I've learned over the years as I come to a close here, God is not really after grapes or fruit in your life. He's after wine. I want to let that sink in. Uh, You know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. That's great. He's developing fruit. But you know, God is not really after fruit. That's all about us. He's after wine. That's all about somebody else. A farmer grows fruit to make wine, not to hang on the, on the vine saying, look at my fruit. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying here? Let me just um, elaborate a little bit. Because in reality, um, in reality, that's what 
God is doing. And, uh, and after 50 years of serving Jesus, I now understand what Paul said when he said these words. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering. God is after more than fruit. He's after, after wine. And when you understand this, that then the process makes sense. So we become fruitful. The grape is grown in our lives. I don't, I don't know whether fruitful in kindness, fruit, fruitful in mercy, fruitful is taking time for that fruit to grow. That's the fruitfulness. But then God is not after, he is after fruitfulness. You understand what I'm saying? But his goal is wine. It's not about us. It's not about us walking around saying, look at how merciful I am. Look at how compassionate I am. No, that's all about us. He is after wine. And so for the fruit to become wine, the first step, you have, it has to go to the wine press. It has to go through the crushing. And you, and you know, very often the trials and, and the stuff that hits our life and the disappointments and the betrayals and the confusion, you know, it's something you say, God, what is happening? Uh, and God in response is saying, well, I'm after wine. Not just fruit, I'm, I'm after wine. So it's the fruitfulness, then the crushing, and then after the crushing, do you know what happens? The grape is fermented. It goes to a place where it's forgotten. It goes to a place where it's dark. And it sits there in darkness, seemingly forgotten. Watch, but that's where the greatest work is done. Oh, man. And then, uh, the wine. Uh, and that's your experience. And, and then uh, the pouring out, the blessing for others. With the comfort we have received, we give to others. And I'm going to finish with this, right? But when you study the life of the Apostle Paul, you see it worked out. First of all, the fruitfulness. I mean, Paul started, his ministry was spectacular. That's fruit on the, on the vine. But then Paul went to the wine press the opposition, the suspicion, the rejection. And then Paul had to go through fermentation, the darkness. He went to Tarsus, a place of obscurity, seemingly forgotten by others for 14 years. But from God's perspective, and some of you may be there right now, you may be in the place of obscurity, in the place of darkness. Listen, you're not in a place where you are forgotten. You're in a place where you are fermenting. And when you see it, because God, God is prepared, God is, is crushing you in or, in, uh, and fermenting you in order to pour your life out in some way to be a blessing to many. And from God's perspective, he's, you're not forgotten, you're fermenting. Out of sight, in the darkness, forgotten, quiet. So, you, you can make your plans. But God will order your steps. And when you, when you get this, when you meditate on this, when you really get it in your heart, you'll get contentment concerning your salvation. You're never going to lose it. Your calling. God knows where you are. And the seasons of your life. It'll help you transition through the seasons of your life. And, and when I look back over my life and I think of the times when God has ambushed me, I don't know, just me preaching this, just God sending me up here today uh, is, uh, is setting you up. Perhaps, you know, I could be the means, God be, could be using this message to, to ambush, to ambush you, to say, hey, now listen, I've got something very special lined up for you. So, I hope that's been a blessing for you. Can I, can I pray for you this morning? Just stand with me. Can we together? Holy Spirit, I thank you for uh, the words you gave me this morning for these beautiful people, your people, the sheep of your pasture. 
And I just pray, Lord, I pronounce peace on every single person. Lord, when you walk through the wall to a bunch of fearful, confused, failed, backslidden disciples, when you walk through the wall, the doors were locked. They were locked inside. They were afraid. They were confused. But it didn't stop you just walking into their presence. And the first thing you said to them was, Peace be unto you. So, Father, I don't know what stage people are at this morning. But one thing I know is that you declare your peace into every single person standing here. Lord, we can't understand what's happening sometimes. Our world may be turned upside down. I can imagine Mary on that donkey traveling 80 miles heavily pregnant. And Joseph wondering, why can't I even get my wife a hotel room here? And both of them, here they were, bang in the middle of the will of God. And yet confused and wondering. Then we realize on hindsight, Lord, we can make our plans, but you actually order our steps. So I don't care how confusing it is, how hurtful it is, how traumatic it is right now. I declare in the name of Jesus your peace into every single person here. In Jesus' name.